Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. It's been a little over a month since our last podcast, um, and we've we've had to brave technical difficulties, uh, Pearson being late, uh, and all sorts of dramas uh, for this podcast today. But we are back um, again after a little hiatus for a preview of the West Indies and Australia Test Series, which begins on Wednesday. Um, and uh, as there always is um, in the modern cricketing landscape, there's plenty of other things to discuss as well. So I've got with me a full cast of Pearson, Ethan and Navod. Uh, Pearson, you've been back in Melbourne for a couple of days, uh, you know, just uh, engaging in a in a bit of uh, masochism uh, with uh, the, the Liberals over here. Uh, but now you're back in, in Canberra. So uh, how have you been? You know, I've, I've been good. I did go down for the Victorian election, as you said. I drove down the Friday. I drove back up the Sunday. Very brief trip. Probably spent more time in the car than I did in Canberra. And yes, you are right. It is arguably an act of masochism with the way results have gone. My electoral record is now four campaigns run and zero victories. But as good as one can go in that case, I'm doing all. Yeah, well, not not good to hear, but it is good to hear that. Um, well, well, so I'm told that uh, we we've got the the uh, got Parliament House listening to our podcast. I might be exaggerating a little bit there, but that's always always great to great to hear. Um, and I, I hope, uh, yeah, maybe we can yeah we can we can get some people on at some point in the future. But uh, Ethan, in more exciting news, uh, how's your uh, cricket coaching career been going? It's a it's been a pull and, and slow start, shall we say? It's a, a bottom age under fourteens team, so I'm coaching kids who are four foot tall against opposition kids who are six foot tall. Um, but we we have promising signs. The the team are on the up. I actually played my first game of cricket in two years on Saturday, and uh, I, I will say that my bowling is no better than theirs. Really, I think. I went for 42 <laughs> off my seven. I bowled a, a waste time no ball. I bowled it off. The, I bowled a ball off the pitch. I bowled a five wides. Uh, so it was a, a the full package. And um, so th- those were the lowlights from that performance. Oh dear. Well, yeah, that, that's not great to hear. I did. Uh, I've I've played a couple games the last couple of weeks as well, and it's been uh, a little bit the same. Um, but uh, yeah, well, hopefully um, you do get a bit of a improvement there in in the future. And, and uh, Navod, what have you been up to back in Melbourne now? Uh, finally able to stop studying, hopefully. How have you been? Yeah, quite a uh, uh, calm, you know, life for me. Not as not as busy as the other two, I must say. Just being really at home, uh, you know, chilling with the, the family and uh, seeing a few other uh, family, friends and whatnot. So. Yeah, very calm. Uh, yeah, very very calm for me. Yeah, not too not, not too busy. Ah, well, that's uh, that's good to hear. I must admit, I've been following the uh, the football World Cup a bit more than cricket in recent days, actually. So, uh, but with the West Indies here for the tests, um, I'm sure that will will change come Wednesday. Um, and well, we we may as well get on uh, to talking about that now. Obviously, the first test uh, is in Perth. On on Wednesday, uh, the the squads have been announced. West Indies um, have a few exciting new players uh, that have come in, as well as um, their sort of 
growing stars um, as well. So, you know, that there's hopes for a good a good uh, series. Um, and then obviously it's a two-match series with the second test um, at the Adelaide Oval, which I, I think will be a, a day-night test. Um, so I guess the first question, what just generally, what do we uh, expect from, from both sides uh, this series? Um, do you think we could... We well, do you think it will be an interesting series? I, I guess that that's the the first question. Uh, Pearson, I'll start with you. Uh, well, I mean, not all Test series are interesting. There's been a dearth of Test cricket for quite a while now. I am quite pleased to see it come back. Do I think series? No, not at all, really. I think Australia, particularly in home conditions, are a very well oiled unit. I think the West Indies aren't. I haven't seen them really perform away from home in a long time. In all honesty, I think this might be the weakest team to come onto Australian shores, other than maybe that Pakistan side from a few years back when Warner hit his 300 in a long, long time. They are a side in transition. They've been a side in transition for the better part of two decades now. So we will see, but I would be surprised if they could avoid anything except a whitewash. Yeah, I think that's probably the the general opinion. Um, although, as I as I did say at the start, they've got a bit of hope um, coming, in particular, in the form of uh, Tajinarine Chanderpool, obviously um, the son of uh, the famous Chanderpool um, from as sort of the the mid two thousands. He batted well in the tour match, um, and uh, Navod. Do we think that that he can sort of be the the spark for West Indies, perhaps? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Tejarin Chandapal, I think he's he's played quite well. I think he, he really impressed me during uh, the, that tour match uh, uh, with a with a very nice 119 of, of 293. Really slow, but of course, it is the longer format of the games. I think he's he's really shown that um, he, he can play quite well, in, in especially in these tough Australian conditions against... You know, it is the the prime minister's eleven, but I mean, in that bowling lineup. So I think I think he could be um, a point of difference for the West Indies. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, how he uh, how how he goes against a more uh, a stronger bowling unit, as we know in the Australian Test. Mm, yeah, and I guess the other strength for the West Indies um, is their their pace bowlers, led by Jason Holder and Alzari Joseph. Uh, then Kyle Myers and Kemar Roach still there bowling pretty well. Um, do you think they got the potential to to challenge Australia's batsmen, uh, Ethan? I think the West Indies side it's it's more similar to a, a lower side like Sri Lanka or even maybe Zimbabwe than a, a real challenging side in these conditions. They do have a, a decent pace attack, and I, I guess the, the the conditions in the West Indies aren't too dissimilar from those that you do get. And the hope is that someone like an Alzari Joseph can play that and force a role and hurry the Australian batsman. But I think from an Australian perspective, it should be more of a hit out and warm up for the batsman in preparation for that South Africa series will we'll be tested against real pace. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's never a certain call to say, but I expect the Australian batsmen to find the West Indies bowlers fairly comfortable. Um, but yeah, it will remain to be as they make and 
what form they're all sort of in because we haven't played a whole lot of Shield cricket, or those international players haven't, um, due to that T20 World Cup. Yeah, you know, that's a very good point. And on the, the flip side, you've had the West Indies, who a lot of their bowlers have had a bit of a break from cricket uh, in an otherwise busy schedule, obviously, with their early exit from the T20 World Cup. So you never know. It's been a pretty ridiculous year of, of cricket for a lot of the Australian players. So, you know, there could be a little bit of fatigue coming in and that, that could play a part. But you would have to say Australia is really have, have the strongest squad um, that that we could really possibly have. All our bowlers are fit, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, all ready to go. And then obviously the the hero of last summer, Scott Bolland, there as a backup too. Um, and then I guess there's probably a few questions over the batting lineup in terms of who we'll select, but you would probably expect us to, to just go with... Uh, who we selected in Sri Lanka, wouldn't you say, Ethan? Yeah, even though Scott Boland had pretty much the summer of dreams last uh, last summer, I, I don't think he'll uh, play. It'll be interesting to see. We always talk about this sort of rest and rotation policy with Australia, given the depth of our side. I mean, in the Ashes, we, we saw Jai Richardson and uh, Michael Neza get a game as well. And, then, and it was only after them that Scott Boland came into the mix. So... I, I do expect it'll be that that trio of Cummins, Stark, and Hazelwood as always, but I wouldn't. Well, I would like to see Scott Boland get a couple of games just for rotation, um, because he's been dominating the Shield as well, and so those picks might need a break for their heavy schedule, um, and so it might it it might come to to beat South Africa. We've got to pick our strongest lineup, and that might you know involve Scott Boland instead of that pride. Yeah, that, you do sort of get the feel that this series could well be a sort of a build-up for that South Africa series later on and seeing who's in form, making the changes um, that need to be made. And from that that sense, it, it could be very helpful for Australia. But um, Pearson, while I'm guessing you well, and everyone would expect Kawaja to open up um, with, with David Warner at, at the top of that batting order, there's probably... I think it would be fair to say some of the most competition um, for spots, in particular that opening spot uh, and the spot of Travis Head that there's been for a few years now with Harris in some pretty good form, also had a pretty good county season. Um, and then obviously Peter Hanscom um, in the, well, probably the, the informed player in the, or shield player in the, in the country at the moment, I think he's got a, a double century, right? A uh, couple of other centuries, two fifties in the Prime Minister's eleven match. So, could we see if maybe Kawaja ahead or even someone else did fail uh, a couple times? Some changes made. Yes, I wouldn't necessarily expect any changes to be made this year. I'm still not convinced Kawaja can play the moving ball at the top of the order. I think. Well, we certainly saw that in his one test at the top of the order in the Ashes in Hobart last year against what was an exhausted bowling attack. We saw similar in his last into three in the UK, again against England in the 2019, brilliantly. But will he survive the series? Yes. Who's his main backup? Honestly, I don't think they'll go straight back to Harris. I do have to give him credit here. Whether that will be enough, I'm not sure. 
a lot of players have had reasonable county seasons of late from Australia and not had a chance in the test side. I mean, it's worth noting Hasib Hamid was the second highest scorer in all of county cricket last season. And we saw how he coped in the Ash. So there's no guarantee that transfers. I would like it to Matt Renshaw. I ran into him at Parliament for the PM's 11, so I'd like to take credit for his great performances in that game. Whether there's any truth to that is another question. I do think he is the obvious replacement for Kawhi, if it comes to it. Head, everyone complains about Paul, but it was away from home. He can I think the well, last time I checked was about 49, and that may have changed since. So I think he'll be fine. As long as he gets that first test, I don't want to However, there are arguments, particularly later on when you move away from home for that four-test India series. Batting specialisation is going to perhaps play the way in Asia. Yeah, well, we do have to remember he was the, the player of the series for that, that Ashes last year. So, yeah, I think you're right. Um, he's pretty safe uh, at the moment, you would have to say. And, and of course, just uh, in the last week, he's cemented himself along with David Warner as quite clearly uh, the greatest opening partnership um, in one day cricket at the moment. I know you very much agree with that, uh, Pearson. Uh, in particular, that that third ODI, an incredible 221-run victory, England's biggest defeat at the MCG in a one-day match. Travis Head, 152. David Warner, 106. What a brilliant performance that that match was, even though about 10 people uh, came to watch it, Ethan. Yeah, I'm I'm slowly falling in love with our new opening combination. You wouldn't classically pick uh, two left-handers to open the batting, especially considering I think we've got a wealth of right-handers to follow. That has been well-timed in terms of heads uh, arriving to the batting. I think there was good promise beforehand that he would make an impact. I think he hit a 70-ball ton against Pakistan and really opened my eyes. Um, to him, and, and he's clearly gelling well with David Warner. Um, it is interesting, though, because normally with two left-handers opening the band together, you'd expect for a successful partnership, one to be very strong on the wide deliveries and another to be quite strong straight down the ground. But they're two batsmen I, I sort of associate with a lot of slashing through the covers and play through points. So it is interesting that they've been able to you know, develop such strong and monumental partnerships thus far, um, albeit I guess the attacks and, and grounds have catered towards them. But it is certainly promising signs for Australia and to win 3-0, albeit against a weakened and tired England side, is a good effort. And I guess promising signs heading into this ODI World Cup um, because we, we look a, a bit more complete than we perhaps have in previous years. Yeah, no, I think that is that is fair to say. And uh, then obviously Steve Smith, I think with with two fifties in the series as well, claims he's feeling the best he's felt in. I think it was five years. He he said he's made a slight technical change. I think he's um, more side on to the ball. Uh, I think he said so. That's a good sign coming into the the Test summer. Um, also, uh, but Pearson, I, I will let you have a response to one whether the head Warner. ODI opening partnership is the is the greatest in the world. Um, and just some comments that I, I know you are dying to make on uh, that ODI series um, in general. Well, look, on, on those three games, 
it did shape up to be a very strong opening pair. Whether they can stick with that long term is certainly up in the air. I do look at that side and I say it looks more solid than it was. I think it lacks firepower. I think there's no obvious attacking batsman from in the top four, which is always slightly concerning. You look at the great sides historically in one-day cricket. You look at England and you see Jason Roy maybe go back to 2019. He, of course, lost a lot of form now. There was a swashbuckling opener. You go back further to that domineering Australian side of the early 2000s and you see Gilchrist could bash the ball around the park. I'm not convinced Warner and Head can do the same. I also just don't think they have the longevity because Warner will eventually move on and retire after the World Cup. They perform well in that instance. I'll give it time because I don't think they can keep up that record. Of course, they were the opening pair, or at least two and three, when they got whitewashed 5-0 by England back in 2018. So I wouldn't necessarily sell myself on it. All in all, I must say, just summarising that series, it wasn't the most exciting thing. The England players looked visibly hungover from having won the World Cup within a week prior to it. The Australia players were clearly fresher for that reason, although I'm not entirely convinced a lot of them wanted it. The players that did perform for them were the players on the fringes. I'd be focusing on a Travis Head in this case, as we've just brought up before. I think there was a pertinent quote by Joss Butler on the series who noted that lots of people are talking about how to keep bilateral cricket relevant, and this series is a good example of how not to do that. Yes, that's a very out there statement. Many will say that's bitterness over the fact we did just get whitewashed by Australia coming off the back of a World Cup win, but I do think that's probably true. Did it need to happen? Probably not. I would argue there should have been more focus on the run into the test summer if I'm an Australian. Your main white ball games are out of the way. That was the World Cup, in my view. But at the same time, if we are to keep bilaterals relevant as Joss Butler wants to, I do think there is a point at which we have to say we will play these games. And that's what they've done. It was an underwhelming series, but sometimes these things have to happen. Yeah, that. Quite in, incredible scenes, really, uh, in that final uh, match at the MCG. The lowest crowd for a one-day match at the MCG. As I said, it, it just looked like it was a, a shield match. It was quite ridiculous. Um, yeah, and I guess, as you say, a lot of that is just that it was straight after a World Cup, so people weren't really in the mood for it. But there's still also some, yeah, some big questions. Well, as we have spoken about almost for the whole year about the the future of one day uh cricket um navad i'll just just to, to come back to the question before about australia's lineup um are you expecting any changes at all throughout the series um or sort of to just go with uh what's started to work pretty well for us recently i think i, th- I think recently the team's been been quite good I think um, that that Warner head partnership is promising. Um, it's definitely something that um, I think could work for Australia, but um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how because obviously this this World Cup uh, is going to be in India. Um, so it'll how um, how this team performs in uh, in different conditions. Obviously, as Pearson mentioned. Um, uh, 
Travis Head is is quite um, is quite a good record in Australia. So we'll, we'll I'll leave my comments I think reserved on on that topic because I think it is Australian conditions and does perform quite well. Um, but we'll have to see. In terms of the test team, I think I don't think Harris can really come back. Um, I think you've got to go with someone else. I think Kawaja he goes. I reckon in this West Indies series. Um, obviously, a much weaker bowling lineup compared to uh, the one uh, that South Africa has. So, if he poor, performs poorly, then um, I think definitely it's time to swap him out to someone else or change up the order. Um, but yeah, potentially um, a Hanscom, uh, potentially a Renshaw could come in as an opener. Uh, but otherwise, I think the the batting uh, in the in terms of the Test team, uh, I think is is quite fine uh, for a home Australian series. I think. Uh, there shouldn't be any issues, not just the West Indies, but also the South Africa series as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, Renshaw has been in fantastic, fantastic form also. Um, so, yeah, really, there are some interesting uh, points to the series, even if we're not expecting it to be uh, super close in terms of results. Although you would have to say West Indies at least have been have been winning uh, recently in Test cricket, albeit against uh, some less strong opposition. They beat Bangladesh 2-0 uh, just a couple of months ago and then obviously beat England 1-0 over in March uh, in the West Indies also uh, with two draws as well in quite a, a dismal uh, series all round. Um, but, uh, you know, they're not in in horrible form coming into this as well. So uh, definitely plenty to look forward to. For that one also, um, we really are str- struggling with uh, technical difficulties here, as I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast will have have realised by now. So, I think we we might make this a, a bit of an abbreviated podcast. Uh, but I will go to you, Navod, just for one quick, uh, as we uh, it's sort of become custom to do a quick check in uh, with what the Sri Lankan team's been doing recently, just in a, a few words. I know they, they've had a series going on uh, with some potential ramifications for their qualification uh, for next year's ODI World Cup. Yeah, so um, it's been a bit of a difficult series so far. Um, we are versing Afghanistan right now in, in a three, yeah, it's three ODI uh, series. So um, it's been a little bit difficult um, to to get the results that we wanted. I think we we bowled pretty poorly in that first game, and uh, we, we let you know some of the Afghanistani batsmen um, do quite well. I think the I can't I forget the name, but um, there was a player who um, who scored their first ton. I think or the first Afghanistan ton or something like that against uh, Sri Lanka. I've got it now. So it's Zadran. Uh, might be mispronouncing that, but he. He uh, got a, his first, or I think Afghanistan's first time against Sri Lanka. Um, Gurbaz, again, uh, 53, uh, and Ra- Ramat Shah, 52. So quite good batting performances from them. Uh, and then ultimately, apart from uh, and uh, quite a uh, all-rounder, um, most of the, the team just collapsed and no one really making it past 20 um, other than those two. So the batting is right now a really big concern. Um, in terms of the second game, I think we bowled fantastically. We, the bowlers have been adapted and we bowled them out for 228, but um, dreaded rain has come and it, it rained out the match. So there was no result there. So um, Afghanistan have pretty much now sealed their um, 
their spot in that World Cup as a as, as a qualified nation, hoping that final game uh, isn't rained out and we, we do uh, manage to get a win. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how we qualify uh, in terms uh, it, it, uh, ahead of that World Cup team. So, yeah, a um, little, little bit of a difficult series if I had to sum it up in a few words. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that is disappointing to hear. I think, Pearson, you were crunching the numbers earlier, or at least probably someone on Twitter was crunching them for you. Um, what What is the sort of state of play with the, with the team still fighting to get in? Uh, South Africa, I know, is the other one. What, what do each of them need to do? So I must admit, I'm not completely sure. So as Nevada said, Afghanistan actually have range to be deducted points for infringements be that slow over rates or something else and still qualify so in reality it will be a case of three teams fighting for i'm not sure if it's one or two slots those three teams will be the west indies south africa and sri lanka as i understand it south africa are currently the last of those sides but they are south africa we saw despite them being knocked out in the group stage rather inexplicably. So I do think they should have enough to come through, but that is to be confirmed. But yes, there will be at least one of those teams, potentially two of them, will miss out on the World Cup, and that will be a massive scalp. Yeah, definitely. And, well, I think it's uh, it shows that the strength of the, uh, whatever it's called, the, the Super League form of qualification for the ODI World Cup, but I know we are actually getting rid of it for the after this 2023 one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely caused a bit more interest um, than usual uh, in these series in the lead up to it. Um, okay, well, on that note, I, I will give you, Pearson, uh, the final word because we quite, uh, well, quite um, fortunately uh, haven't had a podcast since England's T20 World Cup victory, um, but it would only be right to uh, congratulate uh, them on uh, on their on their impressive performance all through the tournament, only losing to Ireland, um, and uh, well, cementing themselves as the premier, what was sort of giving themselves the the, the trophies to to go with uh, a great era uh, of white ball cricket for them. Uh, you you would have to admit. So I'll, I'll give you the the final word on that. Well, yes, I, th- I think everything you've said there is pretty much bang on. In all honesty, I actually didn't think England were that great across the World Cup as a whole. I think the positive was England just turned up at the right times. I actually think we had a very similar tournament to South Africa, to be honest. The difficulty for South Africa is they turned up at the start and not at the end. So, yes, there was probably a bit of luck involved, but the way we turned up was useful. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Ben Stokes. His spot was under a lot of contention, particularly in the press. I think at varying times, all four of us on this podcast have said, no, he needs to go from the side. And honestly, I still thought that. However, the clutch factor that he provides is really unrivaled in world cricket. So that must be congratulated. Beyond that, I think if you're English, you have to take great pride in the death bowling. I think that's something that's plagued us for a long time. You look at when we got knocked out in the semifinals of the previous World Cup in the UAE in 2021. We, of course, got knocked out because of that terrible ball. Is you look at Chris Jordan at the death, 
three culprit along with Chris Wokes. Collectively, I think we conceded 56 or four overs to lose that semi-final. You then compare it to what we had in this year's semi-final, and we essentially conceded below a run of ball for the last five overs. So I do think that turnaround has been massively impressive. Where that went during that bilateral ODI series, I don't know. But yes, I think I think you have to say this is probably the most complete side in T20 cricket. And I think, as you alluded to at the end, I think you do probably have to say this is in the pantheon of great cricketing sides. It is, of course, the first side to hold both World Cups concurrently. Arguably, we should have won the last World Cup. Hopefully we win 2023, but I would be surprised if that happened because it is, of course, in the subcontinent. But yes, I think the consistency of the side pretty much since 2016 does suggest that we will go on and be one of the great sides of at least this format. Possibly the best side this format specifically has ever seen. And more broadly, one of the only sides, along with maybe the West Indies side of the 70s and 80s that can rival the dominance of that 2000s Australia squad led by Ricky Ponting. Yes, uh, I think I would have to to give you that. But um, as, uh, well, the facts speak for themselves. We didn't get the chance to beat you in the T20 World Cup, unfortunately. Um, we, that opportunity was rudely ripped away from us. But when we did get the opportunity in the ODI series, we beat you. So I'll just end the podcast on that note. Um, and I do apologise to all our listeners for the quality. Uh, I hope it won't be this bad again. We will be back with some uh, daily recaps um, for each of the tests, as we did last year. Vast Ship will be joining us um, to help out with that as well. Uh, but for now, um, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, thank you all for listening, um, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.